In this episode, I'll be speaking with Katya Hottenstein. Now, Katya and I used to be colleagues together about a decade ago. It was around the time when we started hearing about this thing called communicative language teaching and teaching with a proficiency goal. And so we decided to jump in and give it a try. So you'll be hearing all about Katya's journey, where she's been, and where she is now. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. So today we have a huge pleasure, and we're going to be listening into a conversation with one of my best teacher friends, Katya Hottenstein. And I asked Katya to come on and talk to us today because she kind of had one of those pivots in her teaching journey. And I know we hate the word pivot right now because of what we all had to do in school. Um, So maybe we'll say she had to be flexible in her teaching journey. And I think it's going to really give insight to teachers who are sort of thinking, you know, I've been doing things in a certain way for so long. And how do I kind of maybe make some changes for the better. And I think that hearing Katya's story um, will help us to understand that a little more. So hello, Katya, and welcome to the podcast. (gasps) Hola! Hey, hey! I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So with the hola, I could point out that Katya is a Spanish teacher. And I'm going to leave it to you, Katya, to introduce yourselves to the podcast audience. All right. Awesome. Well, hello, everybody. I am Katya Hottenstein. And I have known Joshua. Oh, my goodness. How many years now? I don't know. But it's been a while. It's like something like nine. Something like nine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had the pl- privilege of working with him when I taught up in Massachusetts at the same school, and he was my neighbor next door. And he was teaching French, and I was teaching Spanish. And one of the things I loved about my years next to Joshua was we just were totally willing to experiment and try and explore our teaching practices together. And it was a fabulous way to crash and burn, but also know you had someone next door to cry on if you needed to. That was so important, right? When you you have this expectation that everything you try is just going to work and be great. But uh, yeah, that was so important for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's see, what else do you want to know? I've been, this is going to be my 14th year teaching. Um, And I've taught, I started out teaching in a public school in Brooklyn, New York for five years. And then I moved up to Massachusetts and taught there with Joshua for three years. And now I'm entering my sixth year at a um, a school for students with learning differences in Pennsylvania. So. So how did your career start in New York? I applied my senior year of college. I applied for New York City teaching fellows and I got in the program. They really needed Spanish teachers. And so I 
dove in, um, was in the program for two years and was in a high-risk, high-need school with class sizes of 30 plus. Um, and it was a heck of a way to start my career in terms of just, you know, diving full force into classroom management. I was a department of one. Uh, resources were super limited. We had a textbook, but not enough to give the kids. So I essentially wrote my own curriculum. Um, so that was my beginning. What was your teacher training like before going into your school in New York? What sort of background did you have about how to teach language or did you have any background in that? I uh, I went to Hamilton College in upstate New York and there I was a Hispanic studies major and an education minor. So I had some experience through my minor of um, becoming a teacher but I would say truly um, New York City teaching fellows in which I was teaching full-time during the day and going to class at night for my master's, that was the real learning experience for me. And being able to teach, try, plan, and then commiserate uh, with fellow novice teachers and discuss what went wrong or what didn't or what worked that was the real learning curve for me. Yeah. When I went back to do my master's degree, it was several years into my teaching career. And I was teaching full-time while doing my master's degree at night at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. And I had that same feeling of, you're going to use this the next day and see if it's going to work. And I always recommend that to teachers. If if you can Absolutely. do your own education while you're using that every day in the classroom, yeah. just so much better. Absolutely. 100%. So once you had you you had a couple of years of your teaching experience under you and uh, drawing on those learning experiences, but then there came a point when you started to look outside the box a little bit. Uh, you know, it was yeah. the uh, the the pre-box and the post-box <laughs> way of, of going about like your that. teaching, like right? And so yeah. at at some point you sort of looked at like, uh, I, I guess I I need to maybe even have more fun in the classroom sometimes. That's where it mm -hmm. starts. Mm -hmm. And like, when did you start looking outside of the box to maybe teach in more interesting and effective ways? Well, I think... I mean, there were certainly a couple of conferences and workshops. Um, you went to an OWL, which that is, remind me what that stands for. Organic World Language. Yes. So you went to one of those conferences and came back. And so you and I sort of like, let's try this out. Which essentially, we created um, a routine in our daily class where you'd have a circle, a conversation circle, and you'd try and have an organic conversation fueled by student interest. And then we would have a piece of paper on the wall. And as words came up from the conversation that they didn't know, but they wanted to say, you'd write them up there and then sort of infuse them more into your lesson. Um, that's just one example of something that you came back from a conference. And we're like, you know what? Let's try it. Let's do it. And we both ran with it. And did it work 100% perfectly? Absolutely not. <laughs> but we tried our best. So with, I just want to point out that when I, first went to the OWL, I went to one of their summer boot camps, um, Organic World Language, maybe 10 years ago now. The first day of it was 
all about proficiency levels and the actful OPI, the oral proficiency interview and how that's done. And even though I had studied in during my graduate school years, I was I studied applied linguistics and second language acquisition and it was incredibly useful in terms of the science and the cognition and how language is learned, but there was none of the the mm-hmm. fun and interesting mm-hmm. part of it and the being student-centered. And so that was one of the things that I pulled out of that initial OWL experience was nice. it's rooted in science, all this stuff, but then how yeah. are we going to bring it to students? You know, And that's where we started like, oh, how can we do this? And what's going to happen with that? Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking um, as you were saying that, how in that same time frame when we were, t- were kind of trying things that you had heard about or I'd heard about, we both jumped on board with the idea of circumlocution as well and started mm-hmm. to incorporate that. Um, and I, I always explain this to my students now year after year because it's a big word. And it's like, what is that? It's, it's like such a you know, foreign <laughs> concept, but it's a, it's a life skill and it's a skill you can use in any language, in your native language. A quick example is, let's say I'm having a conversation with someone and I can't think of the word coffee. It just like, it's gone from my brain. I can't think of the word coffee. Um, this happens to my mom all the time. Like you just, you can't make a word. <laughs> then you talk around it. You think of it, it's a liquid, it's hot. Uh, I drink it in the morning. Um, I put milk in it. Whatever you can do to get the other person, a sympathetic listener, someone who's willing to give you a little bit of time to think through what you want to say, and you're still communicating. And I think during that time with you, when we were sort of grappling with different ideas and styles, I was so much less focused on the perfection of grammar and making sure that they understood what present and past tense or those pieces, as opposed to pure communication and really trying to express what you can and being comprehensible to somebody else. Yeah, the uh, that that classroom experience with the the circumlocution. I remember when remember when we made our circumlocution posters yes. like for the first time and put them up on the wall to reference them. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's just it's like going back so many years and now they they were so innovative. Yeah. You know, at the time to us and now they're I still have that become poster. A part. Oh, you do! Oh, so much fun! Yeah, you know when we when we think back to like sort of the the origins of where our our change in teaching came from, it was the basic difference was that we were putting the focus on students and making sure they had the language they needed yeah. to say what they wanted to say. No, but it's so true. It's it's really it's a total mind shift if you're used to teaching in a more traditional way. So what does what does your classroom look like and now that you you're you're you sort of have this focus on proficiency you've we're sort of post box now right and so what what are you doing what are you doing differently and what are you seeing in your students as a result of that when i came to my current school in pennsylvania i'll just mention really quickly i went to a tprs um workshop right off the bat that for me also really invigorated me to chart to try different things. And TPRS, which is um, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, allows me sort of a different way to approach key structures and vocabulary in how I teach. 
I do have the luxury right now of not teaching with any specific textbook or a prescripted curriculum. I have that ability, but I strongly feel like using pieces of TPRS as well as comprehensively input CI can apply whatever you're doing. You can infiltrate it however you're doing it. Um, So as an example, what I might do is if I have a list of like five key vocabulary words, um, I would have them visible somewhere up in the room, written in the target language, perhaps with the English next to it, perhaps with an image. Um, Depends on my students. Again, I teach students with learning differences, so I have to make sure that it's comprehensible to them. I have a ton of support words also around my room. There's the Super 7 and the Sweet 16, which are kind of the key most used verbs in our target language, um, so that when I need to, I can point to things and support kids so that everything that I'm saying is 100% comprehensible. Um, I do a lot of PQA, which is, I'm throwing a lot of acronyms out. That's why we're here. We're (laughs) learning all this stuff. (laughs) I know. I know. But PQA, personalized questions and answers, basically what it is, is as you're teaching a new vocabulary phrase or structure, you are trying to get repetitions over and over and over and over and over until the students become proficient and understanding what it is and can use it themselves. So I will kind of, you know, introduce the vocabulary, we'll do, you know, maybe give a gesture with it, whatever, start to tell a story using it, and then I'll turn and ask a student. And we'll have a kind of a back and forth where I'm repeating that structure again and again and again. Um, Do you want to do a little example right now with me? Yeah, sure. Let's do one. Okay. Um, Let's pick, let's see, how about we do, oh my gosh, let's, do you want to do a verb or a noun? Let's do a verb. Let's do a verb. Okay. Let's do, um, let's do run. Okay. Run. Okay. So run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have the word run up and I make sure and I give a gesture with it. And then I might turn to Joshua and I might say, well, first I'm going to talk about myself because it starts with me, obviously. (laughs) I like to run. I like to run outside. And that would be a word that they need to know. Um, I like to run outside. Joshua, do you like to run? Yes. Do you like like to to run? run? Oh, Joshua, you like to run. Class. Joshua likes to run, and I like to run. We like to run. Joshua, do you like to run in the morning or the afternoon? In the afternoon. You like to run in the afternoon. I like to run in the morning. Um, Joshua, do you like to run with other people, or do you like to run by yourself? By myself. You like to run by yourself. Oh, how sad. You run by yourself. Oh, I like to run with other people. It's a, so I'm going to stop there. You get the right. point, right? You're using the vocabulary over and over, but it can go in a zillion different directions. And you're trying to engage students in a personalized way so they feel in, engaged and invested in what they're doing. So it's taking that word, which was run in this case, and it's always contextualized. Yeah. It's always within the message. It's not just repeat the word, yeah. run, 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 run. Right. It's always used in, in different yeah. contexts. Yeah. And it's so much right. less intimidating than handing a, you know, a list of 20 vocabulary words to students and saying, all right, we need to know these. No, you're using it in a way that they feel is actually a conversation. They feel it's worthwhile. So this part 
is very focused on comprehensible input, CI, and making sense of it. So can you talk a little bit about how you then transfer that to student output and how they would use that structure and how, how that works? Sure. So when I spend a lot of time, you know, with the vocabulary where I'm speaking it, you need to get in. I think, I forget what the exact number is, but I think in order for students to produce the language or the phrase themselves, I think it's like 75 times they have to hear it mm-hmm. in context. Um, that might, that number might be higher, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot so anyway, a lot. It's a, it's a lot, it's <laughs> yeah. a lot, right? And it, it's, it's to the point where it seems ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like the conversation we just had, that seems insane, but it's, that's the reality of it, backed in science. Um, so after we've had a ton, a ton, a ton of conversation with it, then I might do one of a variety of activities. I might, we might create more of a story that incorporates run and other vocabulary structures into it, and then do what I call a write and discuss. And that's essentially where I'm up at the whiteboard with a marker, the students have a pencil and paper, and I start to rewrite the story in in the target language. They're literally copying it down. However, it's not me just standing up there and saying, there is a boy that likes to run. It's still a conversation. So I'm saying, hmm, there's a boy or a girl, and they're helping me with that. So then I'm going, the boy likes to run or the boy likes to swim. So as we're doing it, they're not only needing to remember the vocabulary, but I'm also building in some transition words, some articles, and they're getting the the perfect spelling and all of that as we do it together. And then you can do a zillion things. You can have them partner read, you can have them draw it, etc. So if we look pre-box before looking outside the box and post-box, uh, mm-hmm. what's different in your students and their relationship mm-hmm. to language learning, ac- language acquisition? What is what does that look like? What are the the benefits you're seeing from the uh, out of the box thinking, I guess? I will say for both student and teacher, I think there's more joy in general. I think they feel how excited I am to teach this way. And I see them much more willing to take risks and to feel safe and comfortable speaking up. So much of how I used to teach was geared towards get it right. You know, like literally just get the ending right, pick the right word. I need to hear it. And that's super intimidating for a student Mm -hmm. of any age. Um, Because we we, thought that's what language learning was, that if you could do that, you could communicate. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I know from my own experience, when I learned in high school, I was terrified of my Spanish teacher, because if I raised my hand and said something the wrong way, I was going to get a nasty look. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they are comfortable raising their hand and I don't care what comes out of their mouth as long as they're trying and it's in the target language. Honestly, even if it's a one word answer or a gesture that they show me they understood. So I'm not asking them to produce as much as I used to, but I know that they're understanding for, for more. And one of the other perks I've noticed is I have kids casually come up to me after class or in the hallway and try and say something to me in Spanish. Because again, they feel, you know what, I think I've got the language to do this. And they try. Yeah. It was the, uh, that focus on content 
that we thought was going to be a way of communicating is yeah. it led to the I had four years of Spanish in high school and I can't speak a word yeah. sort of situations. And yeah. it's it's less content, but it's more contextualized where students are actually going to be able to communicate. And I'm I'm using this term of thinking outside the box. And I'm hoping, I'm actually thinking maybe I shouldn't have said that because <laughs> I I want this to be sort of the, uh, there is no box first off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that um, we're not thinking outside the box. We're just, we're just doing some good teaching with, yeah. that's very, very effective, right? When you say it's not so much content, there, it's still very rich in content. I actually feel like it's more content, but I think before, and many textbooks are organized like this. The content was present AR verbs, past tense, imperfect. Like that was the content. And then you shove some vocabulary in to hope that that teaches it properly. So it's kind of flipped how it's taught. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, they will learn how to speak in present tense with AR verbs. They will learn imperfect and subjunctive because it's infused into it naturally. Thank you for that. That was a good clarification that... The, the word content in a traditional sense meant language structures yeah. or vocabulary lists, yeah. whereas now content is more of a skill set yeah. of what you're going to be able to do with all of exactly. that. So if we have teachers listening into our conversation right now who are thinking like, oh, okay, that seems like a feeling I want my students to have. That's what I want my classroom to, to look like and feel like. But where do I start? Mm. So like, where's uh, some advice for that teacher based on, you know, your learning along the way? Well, a couple thoughts. Let's say your school is willing to have you try a different type of curriculum. Let's say you don't have a textbook, that type of thing. I would strongly recommend checking out Martina Bex's Somos curriculum. Um, I was sort of handed off that when I first started teaching in Pennsylvania. And it's a wonderful way to start to use this style, but not feel like you have to reinvent the entire wheel yourself, because that can be overwhelming when you don't know um, which target structures should I do? Like, what are the activities I should do afterwards? What cultural pieces can I pull in? She's done all of that for you. Um, what I will also say, so I use some of her stuff, but I also use other people online and resources. Teachers Pay Teachers has a bunch of stuff. There's Mike Pito, there's Claudia Elliott, there's Annabelle Allen. There's tons and tons of people out there that are super, super gung-ho about CI. And what's cool is I don't feel like any of them are saying, I do it the right way. It's only my way. Drink my Kool-Aid, whatever. Everyone's like, try this out. I've used a little bit of this. I used a little bit of that. And everyone's just so willing to share because it's, it's, it's a wonderful community. Um, Facebook groups is another one just to ask people, you know, how do I start using this? What are some great resources? I honestly, I'm on Facebook now more because I, I'm on a CI group and it's like somebody will post a random video for a movie talk that I want to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my lesson tomorrow. The uh, generosity of language teachers Huge. is always so incredibly inspiring, you know, whether it's through Twitter chats or Facebook groups, you know, and uh, it's, I love all the, the information that you gave us along the way. And also, 
I like to always pivot to this idea of being inspired and inspiration as well. And to hear of all of these people that just regularly inspire you. And now you're also inspiring people <laughs> listening to this, Katya, just so you know. I am definitely, right? We kind of got we got in the weeds with some really good teaching stuff right there. And uh, I want to kind of step out for a second and just end with a little bit of fun here. That yes, we 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 so identify as teachers, yeah, but yeah. we're human beings as well with huge, rich lives. Hopefully, to some degree. So, got it. I'm going to ask you a couple of either or questions, and you can choose one or the other, or maybe even both. Okay, let's see. We'll do like two or three, just to see where we're coming from. Okay, so the first one: sweet or salty? I could literally live off of Gorp, which is trail mix because of the chocolate and the peanuts like that combo for me is huge so i have to go with both uh, both okay yes. all right what about okay. you i'm a salty i was gonna i thought that for you yeah yeah, yeah. i love chips mm. i love chips i'm, I'm much more of the the salty okay, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, sneakers or sandals sneakers sneakers, sneakers. but i will say really quickly i have become well, I'm already an 80 year old woman in just like many facets of my life. I wear Crocs way more often than I should because they kind of serve every purpose known to man. So you should also add in there sneakers, sandals, or Crocs. But if I had to pick, I'm going with sneakers. <laughs> what about uh, you? Do you run? Are you a runner? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that yeah. helps. I'm yeah. definitely a sneakers. Yeah. I'm not a sandals person. Okay. One last one. And this could just be a quick answer. Uh, winter or summer? Winter. Yes. I'm a sucker for snow. Oh, I'm the total opposite. <laughs> I'm summer. Not a huge fan of humidity, but I am not a fan of snow. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I live in I live in Boston, yeah. so we definitely get our share of snow. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm 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 happy when it's time to move on from that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, so much <gasps> getting this window into to your teaching experience, your advice for teachers, and. Uh, knowing that you like trail mix. Yeah. I mean, now I know what to get yeah. you next time there's a holiday Absolutely. around. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today, Katya. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a total honor. And I was just going to add really quickly that, you know, I have yeah. tons of folks out there that I, you know, will look at their pages or blogs. I don't have a website or a blog, but if any of your listeners, you know, want my email address or whatever, want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to, to have conversations with them. So all right. Yeah. Reach out to me on Twitter and I can put you into contact uh, with Katya. So I'm WL Classroom on Twitter. We're going to yeah. get you on Twitter too, Katya. We'll get there. Yeah. And I will update everyone when you do get on Twitter. Okay. But thank you again so much. Thank you for listening today. And another huge thank you to Katya for sharing her language teaching journey with us. I look forward to hanging out with you again really soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com. <laughs>